RadioInfluence.com You are sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of Sitting Ringside. My name is David Penzer, and we welcome you, as always, to this thing we call a podcast. Thank you for listening. It is an honor that you do. And uh, definitely, if you have not uh, subscribed, uh, be sure to do that. If you haven't spread the word, be sure to do that or leave a review at the platform. If they take reviews, we appreciate it. If you want to hit us up at David Penzer is my Twitter handle, so they say. At Penzer Ringside, all one word, is uh, the Twitter handle for the show. It's like, sort of like an old-time CB handle. I wonder how many people who listen to the show know what a CB is, but uh, 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 Google it. Anyway, uh, I am very excited to kick off February with somebody I have been friends with for a long time and worked with on and off, have a ton of respect for, and more importantly, been trying to get on the show for a long time, and we finally cornered him. Uh, to come on. He is the executive vice president of Impact Wrestling. He has done it all, pretty much. Uh, I know that's a cliche. Pretty much done it all in this business. And um, uh, looking forward to talking to him about his career, about uh, uh, some of the guys that he was involved in in training and where, what they've become. And most importantly, uh, uh, his two stints in Impact Wrestling uh, as Booker and TNA for what I would say would be the most successful uh, uh, six, uh, 16, 18 months that TNA ever had and uh, and now trying to rebuild the brand. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, please welcome Scott Demore. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we have had WWE Hall of Famers. We've had living legends. We've had Nitro Booker, man, and never has it been harder to hook the following guest, he is a very extremely busy person. He's an old friend, and uh, I am grateful that he gave us a little bit of his time, albeit at 3 in the morning on a Tuesday night, but we'll take what we can get. Scott Dilmore, Executive Vice President of Impact Wrestling. Boy, I knew you win, uh, but you've come a long way. Welcome to City Ringside. Thank you for finally fitting us in your busy schedule. I appreciate it. <laughs> Stop it, David. You know I always have time for you. Yeah, it's like three twenty in the morning. We've been sitting here waiting until like since like six o'clock. Stop it! It's it's ten twenty. I told you it would be after <laughs> ten, and I texted you ahead of ten to tell you that I'd be good at at ten twenty, and I called you at ten twenty one. So I apologize for the minute of your life I've wasted. Oh uh, no, no worries, no worries. It's the least I could do. You probably have added at least uh, five hundred dollars in booking fees to my uh, to my family's wealth. Uh, over the years, <laughs> but well, hey, we'll talk about that later. Uh, so just uh, I, I want to uh, dive into Impact Wrestling a little bit uh, further down the inter, uh, in the conversation. But uh, just a quick overview: how are things going? Good, good. Other than we got a snowstorm up here, which I guess is not to be unexpected in in Canada in, in January as we approach February, but for for where I am in Windsor, which is the most southern part of Canada, actually below over 25% of the U.S., it's uh, it's rather it's rather uncommon to get hit. We were we were 50 degrees almost yesterday, and then I woke up this morning to a snowstorm. Uh, here in Bami, Tampa, Florida, it's going to be in the 30s tomorrow night. 
Oh my God, bundle up. Yeah, that happens once a, a winter. Now, actually, it's been a cold yeah. winter here, but uh, that's neither here nor there. So your story is an interesting one. Uh, I think it's a really interesting one because uh, you've accomplished so much. Please don't take this the wrong way, but you've accomplished so much by accomplishing so little. And, and, and I don't mean that as an insult. I mean that as a compliment. You know, you never had a big WCW run, never had a big uh, WWE run, uh, you know, and that's usually what success is measured by in this business. But you've, uh, you've, you've taken your knowledge of, of the business and the respect that you've earned over the last 20 years and, and, and really gone a long way with it. So uh, I commend you for that. And uh, would you, would, would you say that's an accurate assessment or am I on your shit list now? Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, I mean, what am I going to do? Argue that I did have a great run. I mean, the, the fact is that I, you know, I started in this business. I had my first match as a, as a 17 year old in, in 1991. And uh, I was making my living in the wrestling business, in part, you know, thanks to you and uh, the <laughs> WCW gigs, which which helped me. Some, but no, no BS. I mean, that was that was that was a big deal getting to do. I mean, there was times where I did five, six, seven WCW shows in a month, and you know, I mean, I think I started there at one fifty. I think I ended at you know three or three fifty a night, um, and that was, I mean, for a kid, that was good money, and that allowed me to do indies, and basically from. From 1994 or early 95 on, I uh, I made my living pretty much exclusively from from wrestling, and then you know the 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 odd job here or there where I pick up some 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 short term worker stuff. But I basically was very blessed for many years to make a living, and I I did it by hustling indies. I did it by by parlaying, you know, as stupid as it sounds, being on WCW or WWF TV into being able to make a a decent payday on the indies. I mean, at a time when people were making 20, 30 bucks, I was able to make a hundred, hundred a quarter and, and, you know, you know, bang out three, four shows a week. And I was lucky to work in three of the last territories out there. I mean, I got a little run with a, with a near dead stampede wrestling. I mean, maybe I'm the one that killed it finally. Uh, you know, I got three, I, I got three tours, uh, you know, of service with, uh, Atlantic Grand Prix with Emile Dupree. Uh, his territory where we were used to do seven nights a week and sometimes legitimately do two shows on Sundays, a matinee and a, and an evening. And I, I got to, I got to tour, uh, Germany for catch. And then I even, like I did the British holiday camps, which is, was such an amazing experience doing 10 shows a week. So it was never easy. And I never, I never uh, made a million bucks, but I, I earned a living and I paid my rent and my bills. And if you've ever looked at me, I've never been one who's had to has had to short myself on meals so i was blessed enough to eat well or if not well at least a lot you and you and me you and me both but my (laughs) my my wife is uh as you know is from halifax nova scotia and she grew Mm -hmm. uh, her family grew up on uh uh meal dupree uh what what are some uh of your memories of that uh territory I, i know you worked hard uh the the towns are pretty close together i think but uh you know not too far of a drive for the most part unless you go to newfoundland but what are your memories? Because that was the towards the end of a great uh, era in uh, summers of, uh, of, uh, of, you know, each year. Yeah, no, I mean, it was, uh, it was an amazing experience. And myself and Edge drove out there together. It was like a, like a 30 hour drive that we made together. And after a couple of weeks, uh, we were able to get Christian into the territory. And you look back, what an unbelievable crew that first year, because it was, uh, I mean, discount myself, but it was, I mean, it was Edge, it was Christian, it was, uh, God rest his soul, uh, 
Tikana Canadiense, uh, Tiger Mike Anthony, who you may know from the WCW stuff, right. um, as well as Bad News Allen or Bad News Brown from WWF days, uh, Rick Martel, Don Callis, my oh. uh, my coworker now. Him and Rick Martel were the supermodels getting ready for their WWF run that never came because WCW signed Martel away. But we had, we had a hell of a crew, uh, and getting to get in the ring and, and wrestle legitimately. Uh, me and Jericho joked about this uh, one day, like we're really like this handful of us are probably the last of the group that can ever say that we, we wrestled six, seven times, uh, seven times a week, you know, sometimes eight times a week. And that's, uh, that's, uh, that's not something that happens a lot in the wrestling business anymore. And you really have to learn how to, uh, you know, as, as they say, you have to learn how to work when you're wrestling that often. Cause you can't, you can't go crazy for 25 minutes seven, eight times a week, or you're not going to last long, especially when you got a promoter who won't pay for padding in the ring. <laughs> yeah. I hear that, uh, that, uh, Mr. Dupree is not the, uh, the most, uh, the most forthcoming uh, when it comes to, uh, money. Uh, so w- when you were working with edge and Christian, did you foresee them having such a, uh, 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 uh such a huge career as they've accomplished? Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, you know, Edge from from day one just always had that rock star quality, and uh, he's, I mean, he's a hardworking, passionate guy, and like I said, just had that that it factor, that that rock star quality. And then uh, Christian on the flip side, I mean, you could sit here and say, I mean, he he might not have had the, you know, quite the exact look that uh, that Edge had, but I mean, he's probably one of the he's probably one of the best wrestling minds in the entire industry bar none. I mean, he is, uh, his wrestling IQ is through the roof. And, uh, and I mean, he's also, I mean, he's as hardworking a guy as you could find. So, I mean, not shocking at all with those two. I mean, Edge was pretty much labeled a can't, a can't miss prospect from, uh, from day one. And Christian certainly carved out what is certain to be a hall of fame career of his own. And, uh, he was amazing. You know, even back then, uh, I got to work around the loop with him. you know, uh, two or three times. I mean, so that means we worked five, six weeks together. And, um, uh, if, I mean, I think as, as, as pudgy and crippled as I am now, if I got to work with somebody as, uh, as talented and smooth as Christian, I can still go out there and have matches because he can, he can carry just about anybody. He, I mean, he truly is underrated for how, how amazing he is in the ring. And if you talk to people out there from Kurt Angle to, to Bubba Ray Dudley, to a lot of the, the you know the people that are really considered you know sharp wrestling wise, they will go on and on about how intelligent he is and uh, how unbelievably smooth and uh, silk like he is in the ring. I mean, he truly had a special gift for that. So there's no question that they were that they were going to do something, and you know they've earned everything they got. On the other end of the spectrum, somebody whose career was winding down, but you mentioned him being in the territory. Uh, bad news, Alan Alan Coage. Uh, you, you ask most uh, uh, professional wrestlers who the toughest guy in the business is, and and they all say Ming hands down. But I've heard that uh, that Bad News Allen is, is is not quite far behind Ming as uh, as a tough guy. Do you have any experiences with him as far as uh, him flexing his muscle a little bit to any of the fans or people picking fights with him? No, I mean nobody. Just the way Bad News carried himself, uh, you knew he was somebody not to be messed with. And I made the comment the other day when a group of us were chatting about bad news and telling old stories. And I said, I don't know how many years uh, bad news has been gone for now, whether it's seven, eight, ten years. But if you dug him up today, he'd still kick my ass because um, he was he was 
he he was legit. And uh, I mean, he was, but he was a, he really was somebody who looked after the boys, made sure everybody was okay. Now, if somebody screwed around, bad news was had no question putting them, you know, problems putting them in their place. But he really was, I mean, he was a mentor to all of us. I mean, uh, I remember one night we were in uh, Berwick, Nova Scotia, which is not too far out from Halifax. And I uh, was one of our big Saturday night towns. And me and Christian went out there, you know, and we had been killing ourselves, working hard in the opener, you know. We used to have to tease a Broadway, like, go oh, just under 20 minutes uh, every night. We went out that night. We thought we were so smart. We did all the yay boo stuff. And I got on the mic and threatened to leave. And we did all the, you know, all the gaga spots that we had seen other people do. And we were so proud of ourselves. And we, we walked, we go in the back and we go to Bad News. And we're like, hey, Bad News, get a chance to see it. And he just looks at us and goes, yeah, I did. And go, uh, oh, Bad News, uh, you know, uh, do you have any advice? And he was sitting there reading a book. And he always have his, his reading glasses on. He's like, yeah, takes his glasses off you know, folds his book, closes it, puts it, he's like, come with me. And he leads us into the shower and he, he's just like, he goes, he goes, look, I love you two MFers, but if you ever go out there and pull that BS again, I mean, and he used some very colorful language. He goes, hey, listen, he goes, who the F do you think you are to grab the damn microphone? And I'm like, I'm a, but I, I just, I didn't. And he goes, he goes, he goes, you working for Vince McMahon, you grab a mic? And I go, uh, no, sir. Then why the F you do it here? He'd fire your ass and so should we. And I'm like, uh, I'm very sorry. And he turns to Christian who's kind of not smirking, but kind of like almost like doesn't know how to react. And he goes, and you, damn it, your job is an underneath baby face to go out there and bump your ass off and get the damn crowd set for us, man. And, it's like, and we're like, yeah, we're so sorry. He's like, okay. He's like, with all that said, you guys did real good. And when you're in the main event, that's going to go well. But you ever do that shit again, I'm going to effing kill you. Uh, and that's and, and then he just, uh, yeah. I was going to say, and they just laughed that big bad news laugh of his, which was so hearty. But he was, it was very clear. We, I mean, he meant every word of it. We were to never knew, do it again. But, uh, you know, like he said, he goes, you, you, you did it. You did what you did. You did well. But it wasn't your place. He was, and, I mean, so him, was, was yeah. he just pissed that it was, it was, in the opening match or he was pissed that you did it at all. Well, I mean, and he, I mean, to be clear, he wasn't pissed. If we wouldn't have asked him for his feedback, right. he wouldn't have gave it, but we used to ask for his feedback and uh, Rick Martel's feedback, you know, every night. Cause you know, guys like that, you want to get that feedback so you can get better. And he would always, and 99% of the time, like he would, he would spend so much time like telling us the positive pointing out the negatives, but it was usually, oh, try this, do this. We really thought we were smart because we thought, hey, we're learning how to work. We're being smart. We're not taking as many bumps. Right. And his thing was, it wasn't that he was mad at us. Like, because he's, his thing was, for the business, if we're going to go out there, that's what him, at 50-whatever years old, is going to do in the main event. We're the guys that are supposed to go out there and wrestle hard. Let the mic work and everything else go into main event. That's old school. And we didn't think about it that way. We thought, hey, bad news and these guys are doing the, having these matches and doing it this way. Let's do it like they do it. And, uh, you know, we had to learn very quickly that, you know, when you're in that spot, you get to do those things. You know, the old saying, work according to where you are on the card. Our job as, you know, two early 20-something-year-old guys was to go out there and set the, you know, basically set the mood for the night. I was to get the crowd booing the heels. They were supposed to rally behind Christian. And we were supposed to go out there and have a good wrestling match. That was our job. So he wasn't, he wasn't pissed off. And like I said, he let his little chuckle afterwards, but he scared the shit out of us. Cause I mean, like I said, I mean, you know, 
somebody told me one time and you said it, you ask anyone in the business who the toughest guy is, they all say Ming. You ask Ming, he tells you bad news. <laughs> so, <laughs> that tells you. And by the way, Ming, Ming was at our tapings. Uh, you know, and we were down there a couple weeks ago. So it was great to see him. He still looks like a million bucks. He still scared the hell out of me. Yeah, I saw him at a Legends lunch thing they do here in Tampa four times a year. I saw him a couple months ago. Great guy. Such a humble guy. He got an award. He was in tears talking about how hum, you know how how happy he was just to be have a chance to come to the U.S. and 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 get to you know raise his family here from a small little island. Uh, uh, you know this. You, you see this guy who ninety nine point nine percent of the people in the business are terrified of, and the other one, the other point one percent don't know any better to be terrified of him. And he's <laughs> he's 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 crying tears of joy, man. He's just a he's just a great guy and. Uh, you never, you never know that he, uh, you know, if he had to, he could get the job done on pretty much anybody. Yeah, it's funny because I got the, the opportunity to work with him, uh, you know, quite a few times there in WCW. And uh, somebody asked me, he goes, did he ever hurt you? And I go, yeah. I go, I think he broke my ribs one night. They go, really? I go, yeah. But that was only about six, seven years ago. I saw him in the press box at a WrestleMania party uh, at Ford Field whenever it was in Detroit. And he saw me from across the press box. He came over, and when he hugged me, he picked me up, and I am not a small guy. He picked me up like I was a baby and was just hugging me and squeezing me to the point like I thought I was going to pass out. And when he put me down, I couldn't get any air because <laughs> he was just excited. And I mean, he lit, I mean, I, at the time, I was as fat as fat can be. I bet you I was 330 pounds. And he picked me up like I was 100. And my legs, like somebody, one of the boys <laughs> joked, my legs were just swinging like a doll. And I was just screaming, and then he put me down. He's like, oh, sorry, brother. He goes, I didn't realize how hard I had you. And I was like, no, it's fine. Yeah, he won't do any shoot interviews. He won't do any uh, any podcasts. He's uh, very private about it. And if you're not talking amongst the boys, he's old school. Uh, and I respect yeah. that, but he's a great guy. Uh, you know, you talked about, uh, you know, being out in the first match and doing stuff in the main event. I... Uh, we, you know, I work with uh, the Legends of Wrestling uh, with Knobs and, um, and and Bill Goldberg was involved in that for a while. We had a show last year in Augusta, and you know, most of our stuff is uh, is you know, Hacksaw Jim Duggan doing his shtick, which you know, you could call the exact match he does, and it's still over like a million bucks everywhere he goes. Uh, you know, Tatanka. So you had you know guys who who you know weren't exactly young, and they put out they somebody threw out a, a tag team. Uh, pre-show match and these guys did the flip flop and fly thing like uh you know you'd think that they were in a tryout for uh for dragon gate or ring of honor and i'm looking at that stuff and i'm just saying i'm i'm praying that a guy like duggan or a guy like tatanka or rick or, or scott steiner doesn't see that they went out in a pre-show match and did all that mm-hmm. and then le- left a bunch of legends hall of famers to have to go out and follow that uh you know and then Luckily, nobody saw it because it was a pre-show match and they were all backstage. But, uh, you know, I, I know that you teach people in your school the right way to do things. And um, and it was, hey, don't get me wrong. The guys put on a great match. It was just the wrong freaking time to put that match in the ring. But, uh, yeah. So uh, eventually you hooked up with me. And my memory of this is more foggy than yours. <laughs> uh, was that something with, something with Bob Roop? So. Uh, Remind me of the story and, and, and tell uh, the listeners the story about how, uh, how you hooked up with the, uh, the Florida Booker uh, Enhancement Booker for WCW at the time. 
Uh, well, with, there was a, they were doing a convention in St. Louis, St. Louis right. for Sam Munchnik. Yep. And, uh, you know, we drove all through the night. There's a whole group of us that came from, uh, basically a, I'll call it a Michigan crew. Cause I live in Windsor, Ontario, which borders on Detroit. We're, I would say I live in the nicest suburb of Detroit, Windsor, Ontario, Canada. And, uh, we drove, I mean, I, I don't know if it was 10, 11 hours through the night, got there. And the show, there was like, like an all-day show or something. But before that, I was walking around and, you know, I was asking people, you know, who should I see about getting booked? Because, you know, back then there was no internet and you just you just didn't know. I'd heard this mythical name, Jody Hamilton, because Ricky Steamboat had, had told me up behind Cobo Hall, you know, if you're looking to get booked, you know, you, you, you get a hold of Jody Hamilton at one CNN center. Which, as you can imagine, I, I, I wrote Jody and he never wrote me back, shockingly. Um, <laughs> And uh, I was in St. Louis and somebody said, oh, you know, that's Bob Roop over there. Go talk to them. I introduced myself to Bob and he kind of said, oh, this is Dave and he handles that now. So me and you had a had a little talk. You kind of said, oh, you're kind of a thick kid. You're a little pudgy in the middle and you poked <laughs> me in the belly. I did and not. Said, uh, I swear to God. And it was true. And you said, uh, you said, hey, if you, I mean, if you cover that up a little, because you had seen me wrestle, you know, or something. Or it was maybe a story. We got back together after the show and said, I watched you wrestle. You're kind of you're kind of doughy in the middle, so cover that up. And you know, you gave me your card and said, "Give me a call. We can make arrangements." You know, uh, you know, put a couple guys in a car with you if you want to drive down to Georgia. And uh, you know, of course, that's something you know we very much wanted to do. So we started uh, started making uh, making that trek down to uh, down to Georgia, and then uh, you know, eventually we started doing the Disney tapings and everything. And then you you fired me because you could get a better booking fee from guys in Florida. I did, see. We argue about this all the time, and I don't. I don't think I ever fired you, because no, you just you, you just stopped returning my calls when I'd be trying to get more oh, bookings. Is that? Is and that, then I ran into some of the boys on indie shows, and they said, "Well, just call Jody." So I called Jody, and I said, "Hey," and he's like, "Hey, kid, where you been?" I have, I have a feeling this story. I, I have I a feeling. I, said, I have a feeling this story's not going to make me look very good. But go on. That's fine. No. And, I, and, 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 you know, Jody's like, kid, where the F have you been? He goes, you know, he goes, we've been missing you and your guys. And I said, well, I've been calling David. And I didn't want to bury you. Now I'd be like, that MF or Penzer. <laughs> I was like, well, I don't know. I, I haven't been able to get a hold of, uh, of David, so I'm not sure. And he's like, ah, F David. He goes, when do you want to come down? He started rattling off dates. So I went down there, and ironically, it was the first. He gave me the, like, uh, the he's like, shit, we're going to be in Florida for a week. Come down to Disney and do the shows there. And I'm like, okay. So I, I did the booking rate through Jody, which, you know, being young, I didn't realize. I mean, you weren't booking me because my booking fee wasn't high enough uh, compared to your Florida guys. So then I cut you out and I did it right through Jody. You didn't get a booking fee at all. So a rather perturbed David Penzer got me by the pool about 1.30 in the morning at, uh, at Herb's uh, residence in and just effort the hell out of me for getting you in shit with Jody. I deny that, by the way. I, I will go to my grave denying that. Uh, well, and you know, if, and if that was the worst thing you've done in your life, then you'd probably be <laughs> fine. But it wouldn't. It, both of us, both of us, like I, I'm, I'm Italian, so I'm Catholic. Our thing is, when you die, you go to the gate, and Saint Peter has the book of your life. And if we're right about that, David, if that an instance like that is the worst thing that me or you have to answer for, then uh, we'd be in good standing because I think we've both done things a lot worse than that. But, uh, you know, you still, you're the guy who first booked me. And after that, yeah, she came to me the next day and kind of, kind of said, yeah, I was probably a little bit wound up last night. And, 
you know, you were, uh, you know, I, I, I hate to say it, especially on the record, but you're always pretty good to me. It kind of got me heat at times that I got along with you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. It's fun. It's fun uh, reminiscing. That's why I knew that you'd be fun to have on the on the show. Hey, uh, the, the, the thing that doesn't, I, I believe all that because you're not one to lie. You, you're a straight shooter. But uh, uh, the thing that doesn't make sense about that is that, I was bringing the guys from Florida anyway, so uh, any additional guys I could bring, even if they weren't paying the same booking fee, it was just additional money. And you know, I'm I'm all about additional money. Still am. Right. But, so, but but the, the thing was, and you kind of admitted it. So you weren't charging me a fee after you took a fee the first time or two. Then you're like, you know what? You're arranging the car load. You're driving. Like, don't you worry about it. But you were taking, you know, X amount of dollars from the guys I brought, and nothing from me. Whereas if you book all Florida guys, you got, you know, twice as much a booking fee and none of them for free. So the, the businessman in young David Penzer and walking man said, well, shoot, I can make more money by the booking more Florida guys. Or maybe I just pissed you off. I don't know. But uh, the only thing I could possibly think of is Jody said, you're booking too many guys and I need, uh, you know, I want to let Rip Rogers bring some more guys down or Italian stallion or, mm -hmm. or Mike Jackson. So I had to choose. And then th that case, I would have chosen the Florida guys. No, not only so much about the money, because that's how I got up and back there. And, you know, I was trying to get in. So, uh, yeah, yeah. But, uh, and you know, and you know, and, and you know what, it all worked out because that started my, that phone call to Jody started my relationship with Jody, which led to, to Jody being, you know, I mean, before that he was just somebody I said, hello, Mr. Hamilton too. And, and after that, I mean, he really was, I mean, became, you know, a, a mentor to me and, I mean, he, he's a guy that when I was on the road, like whether it was, I was like, I remember even from like a Grand Prix, um, I remember like, you know, having somebody camcorder tape a match and putting it in an envelope and mailing it to Jody at the power plant. And I'd call him and he would, he would watch it on, well, on the phone with me and, and kind of tell me what he liked and didn't like. And I mean, I learned a ton from Jody because if you, if you can't learn how to work and how to, and how to be a heel and how to get heat from Jody Hamilton, then you better burn your boots. Yeah. And the, the timing was, it all worked out anyway, because uh, uh, that was around the time I moved to Atlanta. I wasn't booking the guys anymore. And, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, you you ended up taking the booking fees uh, that I was getting, correct? Okay, same. Yeah. <laughs> I, started, <laughs> I, I, I actually started booking a bunch of Bob Starr's guys, too, like, uh, like Mike Corey and Al Phillips and Barry Hardy and... That whole uh, that that whole crew, that Baltimore East Coast crew, so yeah. worked out for both of us. You got a promotion to be in the ring announcer, and and I started making uh, you know I started making more money to wrestle, and then I started getting my my booking fees because there's one thing that uh, David Penzer taught me is you got to take a booking fee because otherwise you're going to get heat with the other guys that are bringing people if your guys aren't paying fees and theirs are. So, yeah, to this day, to this day, to this to this day, Booker and uh, Stevie Ray still call me Kickback when they see me. Uh, they, <laughs> they got they got hot. Walking man, they got hot about the whole thing. They uh, they didn't understand oh, really? the whole concept back in the day, and I got they were hot at me, and uh, it became a joke where they called me Kickback when they first heard I was you know I was some five foot six, six schlub taking money out of the boys' uh, mouths. They were hot and. Uh, I just explained, look, this wasn't my idea. This is just, this is what I was told to do. You know, we'll rent you a yeah. van and you, we won't pay you. And, you know, so, I, hey, I'm, I said, I'm just trying to get my foot in the door just like everybody else. So 
Uh, yeah. But yeah, they, at one point they were they were going to rough me up a little bit until I talked them down. Uh, and uh, I did get to get a booking fee from uh, the man uh, that would later be known as Rhino. Uh, so mm-hmm. I, I think he's uh, I think he's the one that the that went on to become the most famous other than you, who I got a booking fee from. Uh, no, nah, I, I don't, I don't know if you, if you got the fee or if I did, but, uh, I think you might've got a booking fee from edge. Yeah. You've said that. And I don't remember what would he have wrestled under Adam Copeland? No, he, he didn't, he didn't want to, he didn't want to use Adam Copeland, which is his real name. And he didn't want to use Sexton Hardcastle, which was his, his working name. So he used some, some some goofy name that he came up with and you know we bring down this guy with the long hair and the good looks and the rock star charisma and i think he got squashed by uh kevin sullivan and shark or sully and uh and ming or something and then he he left and went on to somebody told me that he actually tells the story on his dvd i haven't seen it but uh on his dvd or on something on the network or something he he talks about going down to wcw and uh and uh, getting booked down there, and and uh, and how you know he didn't exactly enjoy it compared to his, his eventual WWE experience. Uh, no shit on that one. Oh, so I got a booking fee from Edge. Wow, that's why he gives me a hard time when he sees me. I guess. So yeah, there you go. Cause it, <laughs> and if there's anybody who's thrift who's, who's thriftier than me and you, it might be him. I guess a three way race. Oh jeez. Say three in the morning. It's hard to keep track. Uh, so eventually, you eventually you end up in uh, TNA. You bring down uh, uh, Team Canada. Uh, how much of that was a work, and how much of that was a shoot? And when I say that, those are all guys that you were high on from Canada that made their debut because of your connection. So uh, was that like an idea that you pitched to Jeff that you're going to bring down these guys and push Team Canada? How did that come about? No, you know we had done the the Team Mexico stuff against Team NWA. And, uh, you know, I remember, I remember exactly where I was driving to and Jeff and Dutch, who used to work in the office there, uh, him and Dutch Mantel used to work in the conference room there in Nashville and book the shows and called me and, you know, they kind of said, Hey, we're, we're thinking of doing this thing. You know how we got team Mexico. We're thinking of doing a, you know, a team Canada and kind of doing, you know, more international stuff. He's like, what do you think? I, oh, that's a great idea. And they go, you know, we, for team, for team AAA, team Mexico, we, you know, we've got Antonio Pena. Uh, you know, it's kind of like the figurehead and team Canada needs a figurehead. Uh, you know, they're like, you know, we are kind of thinking on it and, you know, he's me and Dutch think there's only one guy that, uh, that would be perfect for this spot. And I'm kind of like, Oh yeah. And he goes, you got any ideas? I go, yeah. I go, Bret Hart. <laughs> and they kind of, Jeff kind of laughs and he goes, well, we kind of had somebody else in mind. And I go, who? He goes, well, we kind of had, you, you know, we're thinking you. And I was like, Oh, so you can't afford Bret Hart. Or anybody else. Good, can you? <laughs> And, uh, and he kind of laughed. And if you can, if you can appreciate it, I mean, at that point in time, I was kind of pretty happy. I was working behind the scenes as a producer and I was in this whole, you know what? I mean, I kind of said, Jeff, I really appreciate it. And, uh, and, uh, I go, I, I'm, I'm very honored. I said, I'm humbled, but uh, I go, honestly, like, that's not me anymore. I'm not a performer. I'm kind of focusing on being a producer and that. And, you know, I just, I, I think I, I think I'd rather pass. And he goes, okay. Uh, all right. Um, well, let me ask you this way. And you know, Jeff pretty well. He goes, let me ask you this way. He goes, uh, this ain't old double J asking his boy, Scotty D what he thinks. He goes, this is the vice president of TNA entertainment telling a contracted 
um, you know, service provider, what we expect from him. He goes, what do you got to say now? I go, well, what time should I be there and what should I wear, sir? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and his last thing he said is, Scotty D, don't get stressed out about it. It's going to last two weeks. And it lasted how long? Yeah, I think it probably lasted more than two years. You know? So it was, uh, it was a great run. And being involved with those guys, like everybody who was part of Team Canada, with the exception of Johnny Devine, uh, was somebody that I had a, you know, a very personal uh, connection with and had been part of their development. And, and Johnny grew into being, a, you know, a very dear friend as well. But I, I had met him when I was out in Stampede, but I didn't know him the same level. I mean, Bobby Roode, Eric Young, Petey Williams, uh, you know, these were guys that, you know, um, I, I'd known them from the very beginning of their, their careers, um, whether it was like Petey who started his wrestling, you know, at the Can-Am Wrestling School, or whether it was like the other guys who I met very early in their career and I would work with them and they would, I would help train and, and, and tutor them for what I could tutor them. And when you got a skill set like Bobby Roode and Eric Young and these guys, I mean, even, even somebody like me couldn't screw up uh, helping develop talents like that. So, I mean, it really was kind of a cool deal in the sense that we, we were a team. You know, and uh, everybody got along and everybody, you know, cared about each other. And even even at the times, it's one of those things like I, I kind of found it funny. It was like a family because, you know, maybe like EY and Bobby were bickering among themselves. But if anybody dared to fucking say or do anything to either of them, the other one would jump immediately to the defense. So it's kind of like that that brother relationship. Like, I'll I'll say my brother's an a-hole, but don't you say a thing about my brother. Or I'll punch you in the mouth. Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, it was it was a pretty cool experience. Um, you know, it was uh, it was it was a fun time. It was a fun time in there, and we were we were trying to build a company that you know nobody thought was going to last. So I mean, kind of very similar to how we are here in 2018 and embarking on the same journey. Other than your shows in Border City Wrestling, uh, had you ever booked anywhere else, or was that the first time when you took over the book for uh, TNA? I mean. I- I had booked for, you know, besides my own stuff, lots of, of different smaller places uh, in Ontario and in Michigan. Um, you know, and then like me and D'Lo Brown at one point booked uh, booked a promotion out of Al Snow's gym in Lima, Ohio, just doing monthly shows for for a while. So, I mean, it was all it was all small, small time stuff I had done. And one of the great things about being in a company like that, like that's 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 small and growing is you get to wear many hats and. You know, as they were shuffling the deck and everything, I mean, you know, Dusty's time uh, as the as the booker was was winding down, and I mean, it, it certainly wasn't just me. It was a team of myself and, and Mike Tanay, who was the the best road wife I ever had, and Jeremy <laughs> Borash, and a forgotten man, and Bill Banks, and you know, uh, Dutch Mantel, and we formed a, a five man committee that I headed, and uh, you know, we got to oversee. We got to oversee some of the dark days, like when we went dark and had no TV off of uh, coming off of Fox, and we got to see the you know oversee the launch on Spike TV. So I mean that was a, that was a very cool experience. And then after my time, you know, booking came to an end, and they brought Russo back. I mean, I I was lucky. I mean, most of the time a booker gets replaced, and you know the first thing they get done is shown the door. And uh, you know Jeff and everybody at TNA were were very cool and going out of their way to 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 try to ensure that I still felt valued and you know they I mean Jeff very much wanted me to stay and uh you know we found other ways to to keep me around and involved as a producer and doing other things and 
and you know be part of the the growth and success of the company which was a was a pretty cool journey and a, a pretty good lesson for me to learn in the sense that it's hard to go from being the boss to to being not the boss sure. and that's that's probably probably a pretty important life lesson that uh that i had to learn there and and, and there's a lot of life lessons i learned in in tna and in the wrestling business in general that i that i now carry into my my daily business life and there's there's times when i'm you know i'm dealing with things you know in business and somebody says man where did you come up with that and i was like oh shit i said these people that we deal with that think that they they're good at being full of shit they got not like the best full of shit business man <laughs> doesn't have anything it doesn't have anything on a half-ass wrestling card um you know like we have some of the best some of the, some of the best con men out there and hustlers and you know, so I, I see these guys trying to pull this stuff. And I was like, you guys wouldn't last a day in the wrestling business. <laughs> now, I'm not I'm not kissing your ass. I'm being honest. As somebody who was there, I think that uh, the best uh, the company ever was, uh, was when you guys, you and Tanae and JB, and I didn't realize Banks was a part of that as much, uh, and Dutch were, were doing the booking and with you as, as the head. Uh, what, 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 what was the reason that you were told that that, that ended? And uh, also, what would be the highlight, looking back, of what you think during your tenure that you were able to accomplish? Um, well, I mean, I mean, I was told, quite frankly, that the, the reason for the switch was because I had been very clear about the fact that, that I was not going to move to Nashville. And they wanted, they wanted their key people in Nashville. And Vince Russo was going was gonna to move to Nashville. And it was something that I had been very clear that I wasn't willing to do. And, uh, and uh, I mean, hey, hats off to Vince because he never moved to Nashville. So I guess I just should have <laughs> I was going to, I was going to, I, I, I just should have learned to lie and say that I was going to. I was going to say, I didn't think Vince ever moved to Nashville. I'm thinking that. <laughs> nah, but he, but he said he, he said he would. And I mean, it's the wrestling business. So, I mean, it's not a lie. You're just working people. Um, but yeah, that's, I mean, and I mean, there, I'm sure there was other reasons. And quite honestly, looking back, I mean, I was pretty burnt out and frazzled. It had been a, it had been a stressful, you know, 16 plus months. I mean, our first months there in charge, you know, running things. I mean, from a business perspective, we were just hemorrhaging money. Um, and we got it to the point, uh, that, you know, by the time that, uh, that I was, I was moved out of that spot, we were kind of in a, a pretty stable, stable spot business wise. And I'm, I'm very proud of that. You should, um, you should be by the I mean, way. Yeah, I mean, as Dave Meltzer once said, the the only the only booker or bookers to to be appointed to a company losing seven figures a month and be relieved when the company turns a profit. What? Dave, who? You know, Dave Meltzer. <laughs> I'm just playing. You might have heard of him. He's he's a kid who's coming up. He's uh, they say he's got a sharp mind for the business. He's yeah. a young David Penzer. Yeah, I just can't. I, I yeah. <laughs> I just can't, I can't, I can't figure out the star system. Do you know what the difference between two and a half stars and two and three quarter stars is in a match? Yeah, all I know is Kenny Omega is six stars. I mean, Don Callis keeps telling me that every day, so that's the only thing that's drilled home in me. But uh, yeah, I, I don't get the star. I don't get the star system. But but I, uh, hey, I mean, I guess there's got to be a way to evaluate what's what's good and what's not. That's all subjective. But I mean. You know, it's so, just the quarter star no. and the half star that, you know, I'm cool with like yeah. one star, two star. Uh, I just like to yeah. uh, uh, mess with that on the show. But um, uh, yeah. speaking of Kenny Omega, I wanted to hate the guy because he was the Internet darling after Meltzer gave him the six star match and all that. Uh, yeah. I saw him uh, on a show from Long Beach. It was actually uh, uh, I was in the hotel uh, getting ready to do uh, impact tapings. 
uh, when I came back for a brief while, and uh, and I I thought he was really good. What is your opinion of Kenny Omega? I mean, I think Kenny Omega is uh, unbelievably creative, and I mean, you talk about an athlete. Um, he's uh, he's uh, he's an amazing athlete. The things that he does are there. You know, I mean, they almost defy you know biomechanics or or physics or whatever you want to call it. It's just. Uh, it's unbelievable. And the fact that he's able to go out there and do it on such a consistent basis, I think is, uh, is, is, is pretty spectacular. And you look at what he's done. It, it's not, uh, it's not the, the classic wrestling match that, uh, that a lot of old timers are going to, are going to say is the right style. But when you talk about the style of 2018 and being cutting edge and being different and being creative, then I don't know if there's, if there's many out there that uh, are on Kenny's level. I never did get the answer to the question other than uh, turning a company that was hemorrhaging into a, a, a break-even or money-making company. What was, uh, as far as batches or pay-per-views or angles, what was uh, your proudest moment uh, as the booker for TNA? Uh, I mean, I guess if you're talking about uh, straight-up matches, then, I mean, we went out there and, and came out the gates and we did the, the stuff with Joe and AJ and Daniels. Which was uh, which was some pretty awesome stuff and a pretty great series of matches, and uh, I think something that was a real game changer, uh, both product wise for uh, the company, but also certainly business wise, was it took uh, it took a lot of time and effort and uh, and uh, uh, conversations and such, but getting Christian uh, to be the first ever first ever performer to to say no i'm leaving wwe and i'm going to make the conscious decision to to go to uh to tna i think that was i mean i think that was a pretty big accomplishment because nobody had done that up until him and uh getting a guy who was in a pretty good spot with vince to to say nope i'm gonna go do this i'm gonna be part of building something down in uh in uh in tna i think that's that, that's something i'm very proud of and, uh, I think he know, may be the only. I think he may be the only one. Has anybody else done that other than him that you could think of? Off the top of my head, no. I mean, not somebody who was sitting there in a main event, you know, or close to main event. Like if, if Christian wasn't in Maine, he wasn't far off. I mean, sure. he was world champion months before he came to us, and the you know the fact was he he left there. He uh, he uh, he told them he was taking uh, a break. And then he's after his last day with WWE, he flew and, you know, and we met up and we, we, you know, were able to put a deal together and, and, you know, signed him, uh, signed him to a deal. And he made, uh, he made a, I, I think a pretty spectacular debut that I really think showed people that, uh, TNA was, was, a, was a real viable, was a real viable place to be. So, I mean, that to me was a real game changer. Yeah, I know there's no looking back, especially in this business. You just can't do it. But I, I, I always would wa- would wonder uh, if they'd have kept you guys, uh, you and, and Mike and them uh, uh, in charge, how, how far that company could have really gone. I, I I just thought you guys did a fantastic job. And I don't know that I've even ever told you that before, but uh, very impressive. And uh, and uh, I didn't know Tanae was a booking genius either. He was your uh, right-hand man, huh? Yeah, I mean, Tanae was Tanae was great because I mean he's a he's an encyclopedia of knowledge, and uh, I mean he's just a guy who was so passionate about the business, and he he always he was a, he was a great sounding board uh, for things. He had a very 
had a very clear mind as to what logically made sense. And he also, for a guy who's, who's never stepped in a ring and never, you know, been part of the business in a physical aspect, which I'm not saying that's the end all be all like so many others say, but Mike really had a knack for being able to say, you know what? I think this guy and this guy would really mesh well together in the ring. And he was rarely wrong when he, uh, when he said that. So he was, uh, I got a world of respect for Mike. Um, you know, he was, uh, he's a, uh, he's a great, great play by play guy. And I think the business misses him, uh, having him do that. And, uh, he was, uh, I think, I think he was, he was a great, um, you know, logical, uh, force for, uh, for TNA, whether he was part of the booking or not. The one thing about, about today, and you know, Mike is you asked him his opinion, you got it. Oh yeah. He doesn't pull whether, punches. W- w- yeah. No, uh, I mean, I, I never, I mean, he was, he was the man to me. I mean, he just, he asked him what, what you thought he said it. And if you didn't like it, it didn't change his opinion. And that's what it, that's what he thought. And if you didn't want to listen to it, then go on and do whatever the hell else you wanted, but you weren't changing his mind. And, uh, he was the man because I watched him. I always said this, he was my hero because we were negotiating contracts and mine was going back and forth and back and forth. And it like seemed like it took on forever. Mike walked into uh, the CFO at the time, Frank Dickerson's office. And while Frank was trying to explain him stuff, Mike basically took the contract, flipped through a few pages, and I saw him, you know, do change something and sign it. And all he did was he just crossed out the number and wrote in the one that he wanted. And then he signed it on the last page. And then he got up and left the room. <laughs> how come you didn't, how come you didn't try that? Uh, because I, I, I mean, I was, I was dumbfounded. Like I had done mine. It took mine like weeks and weeks and weeks. And it was F you, no F you, no, you're unreasonable. No, you're unreasonable. Mike so calmly just wrote in the number he wanted, signed the last page, told Frank when he uh, had an executed copy finished to give him, to give it to him. And then he said, with that, he's like, hey, all right, Scotty D let's go get dinner. <laughs> and now so you, so then you, yeah, the next day he had a fully executed contract. <laughs> and I was just like, you're, you're my hero. He's a smooth operator, man, and I think you're right. Uh, the business misses Mike Tanay, and if I were a guessing man, I'd say that Mike Tanay misses the business. Uh, super, super guy. So uh, you left for a while, and then uh, uh, Dixie uh, sold the company to uh, Anthem, and, and they brought Jeff back, and I'm assuming that's what led you back to Impact Wrestling. Tell us a little bit about how that came to be. Uh, you know, I mean, it's I, I had uh, kind of put a toe back in the water, kind of, helping Jeff as I could with, uh, global force wrestling. And, uh, you know, he told me that he was going back to impact. And I mean, I honestly didn't, didn't see myself being part of it. And, and he did, he, uh, you know, Jeff, he's a, he's a persuasive guy. He called me up and asked me to give him six months. And I said, not a chance. He said, come on down, you know, two days, fly in, spend two days in a room with me and Dutch and a few people just kind of listen just, uh, just give us your thoughts and, uh, then you can go home and that's it. You know, you don't have to ever come back and, uh, yeah, you know what I can do a couple of days with Jeff and Dutch. I mean, that's, 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 uh, that's a no brainer. So I went and did it. And then, uh, as I was leaving, he's kind of like, Hey, you know, can you, you think you'd come back in a couple of weeks, you know, just well, yeah, okay. And then lo and behold, it's, you know, it's four months later. And, you know, I, I mean, he's, Jeff's always been a, you know, a supporter of mine and, and whether we've, we've agreed on things or disagreed and we've disagreed loudly and borderline violently. Um, he's all, he's always been, uh, you know, been a guy who's done pretty darn good by me. 
And, uh, you know, he, uh, once I got there and was part of it, you know, it's the old thing. I mean, they just, you know, they hook you back in. And it was a good gig because I was, you know, I was a consultant, which means you show up and you kind of do what you can and you give your opinion. And if they like it, they do it. And if they, if they don't, then they don't. And at the end of the day, you go home and, you know, you, you did what you could. And uh, ultimately, it's somebody else's responsibility and problems. So it was a, it's a good relationship. It was a kind of a, you know, it's kind of a fun little, little period. And it, it got me back uh, in and around the business. And uh, unfortunately, I mean, I guess I'm still full on, you know, uh, bit and cursed with uh, a love for the wrestling business. So, uh, you know, here we are in early 2018. And I mean, I'm, I'm about as all in as it can get. So word has it that uh, one of the things that made uh, Ed and 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 uh, Impact Wrestling and Anthem go with you and bring in Don Callis to, to be your partner, so to speak, is the conversation that Ed Nordham had with Chris Jericho. Uh, how did that come about, and uh, uh, how is it working with uh, Don Callis, uh, basically running the show now? Now it's your guys' show. Yeah, I mean it's uh, it's it's interesting. I mean, I'm I'm a little ahead of the curve and on Don as far as for getting reimmersed in wrestling. I mean, we're only we're only a few weeks, you know, on the job for for Don being back in it. I mean, he had to segue out of his his uh, his uh, his other profession, and uh, you know, we're we're rolled up and we're uh, we're we're in it, uh, you know, right up to our necks. Like you know, we both. Both will be up early tomorrow. We're catching uh, flights to convene in Toronto for the day, spending the day in the Anthem offices, and then we got a we got to board a plane to go to the UK for a few days, and gonna go over there, have some have some meetings with with partners there, and you know, gonna check out some events and uh, and a training center, and and you know, really try to wrap our heads around the the UK scene, and uh, you know, it gets exciting. It reminds me a lot of of where we were and you know, in the early days of, of TNA where we've got uh, a hungry group of guys that want to go out there and prove that, uh, they can make this work. And, uh, I, I mean, I, I truly think that, you know, lightning can strike twice and we can, we can build this, uh, you know, this company up again. And I'm excited to be, to be part of that process for, uh, for a second time. It's, it's not going to be easy and it's not going to be quick. Um, you know, I always, I'm a, I'm a hockey guy and, Mike Babcock, who's many consider the, the best coach in hockey, when he took over the Leafs, he listened to his first press conference and he was like, "We're going to lose a lot of hockey games. This is not going to be a it's going to be a, a a great season at times, you know, to be a Leaf fan. But you stay the course and you get better. You work hard. You go out there and you just keep making improvements to the team and the roster and the the organization. And uh, before you know it, you're contending for a playoff spot and and getting in the mix and being a real contender. And that's, uh, that's our goal with impact wrestling. And we're, we're committed to it. And we're very, very lucky to have, uh, you know, a time in the wrestling business where there's so much good talent out there that's looking for an opportunity to shine. So we're going to give some of those, some of those individuals that opportunity. A couple more questions. And I'll let you go. Cause I know your time is extremely valuable. Uh, since Jericho was, uh, was, was, involved in in at least the idea of bringing you and don in uh together to run the show and since he's been doing a lot of you know new japan stuff and and has his own t-shirts now with uh hot topics and sort of has has, has walked away from the wwe bubble any chance that we might see uh chris jericho in impact wrestling uh, i mean i really think you're putting the cart before the horse there um you know 
Chris is, you know, has a, has a wonderful relationship with, with WWE and with Vince McMahon. And uh, I think it would take a lot to get him to, to domestically go out there and do something that wasn't in the WWE universe. Um, you know, but he certainly went out there and he, he saw what, what, uh, what things are like in Japan. And I mean, what an unbelievable, you know, then he was part of it, the Tokyo dome and what a difference maker he can be in the, in the product and certainly in the business end of things. Like he certainly added seven figures to the bottom line of wrestle kingdom. Um, so, I mean, I guess you can never say never, um, you know, and Chris has been, uh, been very, very supportive and uh we appreciate that but you know chris is a guy who supports wrestling because like all of us he loves the business but uh if you're a betting man i i, I mean i don't know if i if i take a mortgage on your house and go out there and bet it that you're going to see you know chris jericho in, a, in an impact ring or any ring domestically that doesn't have a wwe logo on it yeah i've talked to chris in the past and normally i'd say not a chance in hell uh zero but the fact that he did uh he did you know uh put you guys on pedestal and sold you to, uh, to the, the company. He does have a little bit more of a personal investment. So that's why I asked a uh, couple more things, uh, guys like Bobby Roode and Eric young and NXT WWE. Uh, how, how is that to see guys that, that, that you not only trained and, uh, uh, and, 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 and are, are very good close friends with to, to excel on a level like that. Uh, uh, how's and and also guys like AJ Styles, who I know you're friendly with and and work with uh, in uh, in TNA back when you were the Booker. How how is that to see that on you know some of these guys going to WrestleMania, the biggest stage of them all? Uh, you know how is that on a personal level for you? Must make you extremely proud. Yeah, I mean it's uh, I mean I don't want to I don't want to take credit for for any of those guys' success because everybody you named is is amazing talents and and some of the most dedicated people, but to know you're even a, even a part of their journey in, in whatever way, um, you know, small or large, I mean, you know, like you turn on a TV and, you know, there's, there's Bobby Roode, there's Eric Young, there's AJ, there's Samoa Joe. Samoa Joe was, you know, was one of the, was one of the first guys, like when we took over as a, as a booking team, the two people we produced, we pursued so hard were Samoa Joe and CM Punk. One of them we got, one of them we didn't. And certainly I think things worked out for both of them. Um, but, you know, seeing Joe and everybody else, even a guy like, uh, like I was Doc Gallo's agent. Um, after I'd kind of got out of being in the business, I still was an agent for Bobby Roode and uh, Magnus, Nick Aldis, uh, Doc Gallo's, you know, like I negotiated his new Japan deal for him to, to get his foot in the door there. And you look and see what him and, and uh, Carl Anderson, who is a guy I've known from his first month in the business, just seeing all these guys go out there and, and, and kick ass, it's kind of hard to, to turn on a WWE program. You know, Ronnie Spears, uh, uh, Ty Dillinger, all these guys that have came through Border City Wrestling or been, been, uh, been part of my journey in wrestling and just seeing them there and, and doing well, I mean, makes, makes me excited for them. And like I said, makes me proud for, for any any small part that I paid, played in, you know, where they ended up today. Yeah, I think you're a little humble, but uh, uh, that is you. You're a good guy. You're one of the good guys in the business. Last question. As the uh, co-executive vice president of Impact Wrestling, if anybody was available and you could pick one uh, wrestler to build Impact Wrestling around that currently wrestles anywhere in the world, who would you pick? God, that's a tough question. Um, I mean, are we talking about people that are available or anybody? Anybody. Period? Anybody. 
Anybody who's currently wrestling? I don't know. I mean, it'd, it'd be hard to, especially in our in our universe, not to think about what it would be like to have an, and I almost hate picking one, but can you imagine AJ Styles, who was the guy there on, uh, was it June 17th, 2002? Uh, to come back home to Impact Wrestling and, and be the be the cornerstone, the crown jewel of uh, a company that without without him never would have existed and grown. Um, you know that would be uh, that'd be a pretty awesome thing. And I mean, there's just uh, like I said, there's so many talents out there. Whether it's Kenny Omega or Kata or uh, you know Bobby Roode returning, or I mean, just just so many people out there. But you know, like if I got to pick one, like I said, I mean AJ was the was the face of this company for, for so long. And I have to think somewhere, you know, in the back of my mind, you know, or buried deep in my heart that there's one day a chance that AJ steps back, you know, in a, in an impact ring and, you know, has, uh, has that homecoming moment. I was always an AJ fan. I booked him on uh, the XWF tapings that we did in uh, with Jimmy and, and Brian knobs. Uh, that was before he hooked up with TNA because yeah. uh, we can never get anything going. But uh, I, I know I said last question, but uh, since you bring up AJ, a lot of people uh, up until it actually happened never thought that AJ Styles and Vince would make a guy like AJ Styles the, the world heavyweight champion of his company. Uh, were you surprised uh, when that happened? No, I mean, I mean, look, AJ, AJ was the guy in TNA for so long. And then, I mean, I was kind of part of all the goings on there when he was leaving TNA and, and, you know, his going to New Japan. And, uh, you know, he went out there and showed that, I mean, I mean, I think people always kind of said like, yeah, he, he did great in TNA, but they almost kind of looked at it like he was, like he was the hometown boy. And it's almost like they discounted what he did for him to, uh, to go out there and to go to Japan and, not style wise, but really character wise and personality wise, almost reinvent himself and just go to a whole new level net level at new Japan. Then, uh, I mean, I'm not shocked once I saw him, cause I was part of being there and watching him in front of thousands of people and, and at the Tokyo dome, tens of thousands of people and what he could do. So, I mean, obviously, you know, people with WWE watch that. And when you main event in front of tens of thousands, um, you know, you've, you've shown that you've got what it takes to, to, you know, be a key guy there. And he's went into WWE and whatever they give him the ball, he, you know, he runs with it. And like he always does, he gets it across the goal line. Absolutely. I know you guys are working with uh, Twitch. You want to talk about that at all? Uh, look, uh, about what you guys are doing? Well, I mean, you know, as a, as a 40 something year old guy, who's not really a gamer when they first kind of like gave me the concept of of what twitch is um it was it was pretty hard for me to wrap my head around but uh i mean it's a it's a, a pretty amazing service and we're out there we've got a we've got a 24-hour uh service on there where we've got a program streaming 24 hours a day on our channel uh we're starting uh, once a month with original content you know twitch program where we're gonna have uh you know Twitch shows that are live events that we film and we air exclusively on Twitch. And uh, this is an unbelievable platform. When you look at it, we've been, we've been live on Twitch for, I think maybe about 10 days now. And I think we're starting to approach, you know, 20,000 followers and 300,000 views. And for something that we just kind of soft launch, that's, uh, that's unbelievable. And, you know, one of our things is the, the millions and millions of, uh, of views and impressions that we do digitally 
on a monthly basis. And I think Twitch is, is, is cutting edge as far as for content delivery. And we're excited to be out and partnered with them on the forefront of that. Yeah, it's amazing in the world we live in now. It's not only, you know, a television deal, although that's a, important, certainly. But, uh, you know, there's so many different platforms now where people see you. My, my 20-year-old doesn't even have a TV. He hasn't had a TV in three years. He gets everything off of, uh, you know, the, the Internet, YouTube, different platforms like that, Netflix. So, uh, so hey, Scott, uh, one of my favorite people in the business. Uh, thank you both times that I was uh, lucky enough to uh, – to, to be the ring announcer at TNA and Impact Wrestling, you were the one who uh, who put in a good word and got it done. So uh, hopefully the third time will be a charm. You guys get this thing up and running. I'd love to uh, to come back and help and uh, and and just best of luck on, on on what you're doing. You did it once, and uh, I think you'll do it again. So uh, I I uh, appreciate your time. Yeah, I appreciate it, David. And I've always said that you know you you know you gave me an opportunity and you know, allowed me to be part of things there at WCW. And I learned so much there. And like you said, we've worked together since then twice, really three times. If you count our short WWA uh, experience together. And uh, somehow I feel that we're not done working together. So I look forward to it. And uh, it's kind of been fun catching up. And now I'm going to go to bed so I can catch an early flight. I know I gave him a hard time about uh, three in the morning. It's actually only uh 10:30 as we finish off this podcast, but uh, I gave him a hard time, and uh, that's just uh, how we uh, interact. But uh, truly, want to thank Scott for uh, his time. He uh, is running a wrestling company and a successful business in Canada, and not only that, add to that, uh, Border City Wrestling and the Can-Am Wrestling uh, Academy. So he is literally doing. 14 things at the same time. So I do appreciate his time. I do thank him for his upfrontness and his honesty and uh, wish impact wrestling all the best. Uh, check out Twitch. I've not, didn't, hadn't heard of Twitch before. Uh, I saw that, uh, that impact wrestling was working with them and I, I looked at it a little bit. I'm sure, like Scott said, I'm, I'm still not a hundred percent sure uh, exactly what it does, but it looks like it's a, at least at the very least a streaming service and uh all platforms are good platforms. The more eyes that see your product, no matter how it is, the better opportunity you have to grow such products. So we hope you enjoyed that interview and uh, Scott's candor and some old WCW stories. It's always fun to talk the good old days, and uh, we're going to continue to do that each and every week here on this podcast. Uh, it, be sure to drop me a line on Twitter, or you could email me at David Penzer at RadioInfluence.com. David Penzer at RadioInfluence.com. Stay in touch. Let me know what you think. Uh, positive, negative comments. I'm a big boy. I could take any negative comments. If you think you have an idea of what will make the show more interesting, throw it out there. Uh, I've been known to take a couple people up on their advice and uh, incorporate it into the show. Anyway, I do appreciate you checking us out again, and uh, we look forward to coming to you next week and each and every week on this podcast until next week my name is david penzer i'm still sitting ringside have a good one follow david penzer on twitter at david penzer also make sure to follow the show on twitter at penzer ringside you've been sitting ringside with david penzer on radio influence 
Crush Performance, your weekly source for sport performance and athletic development information. If you're a serious athlete, a weekend warrior, parent, or coach, join us each week as we investigate the latest trends and research coming out of the sport performance world. We'll visit with top athletes, coaches, and sports scientists to keep you on the cutting edge and to find out what it truly takes to achieve human maximum performance. You can visit us online at CrushPerformance.com and Crush Performance Radio with me, Jeff Kershell, can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and at Radio Influence.